The thing is not how you are on your best days, how can you step up on your worst day? When everything is going terrible, when you're tired, when you're frustrated, when you're edgy, how do you treat other people? Fuck pain, fuck heartbreak. I'm still in love with life. From the multicultural headquarters of the future capital of the free-thinking states of America known as Los Angeles, this is the Drunken Dows Podcast. On this episode, what was meant to be a quick call between Danielle and Chris Ryan ends up as a fantastic chat that ventures far and wide, asking questions like, what the hell are you running away from? Examining those tiny moments when you can look at the world and say, hey, everything is nice. Dust devils, whirlpools, and realizing that friends are people who you are willing to talk to, even though you don't have to. There's a whole lot in this one, and here we go. And now, asking you all to spread the words that corporations are not persons, I'm Rich Evers. And my partner in crime, the savage philosopher and middle finger of the gods, Daniele Bolelli. As we invite you to lower the lights, batten down the hatches, and prepare to open your mind. For the Drunken Dows Podcast begins now. Welcome back, everybody. Another fine episode of the Drunken Dows Podcast, episode 249. How'd that get there? I know. Craziness. So this is, uh, some of you guys may have heard this before, because this episode came out on Tangentially Speaking, that is uh, Chris Ryan's podcast. I wanted to give it a suitable interval after he released it, before we release it on our feed as well. It's mainly because sometimes when there are great conversations with people like Chris or something, it's nice to have them on the Drunken Taoist feed as well. Just I remember that we did them the way they are there for memory's sake. So again, for some of you, this is going to be completely new, in which case, please enjoy. For some of you, uh, it may not. I apologize if you're like, there's a new episode and it's like, Bastards, there is no new episode. This is the same thing that I heard on the other one. This is new. So, new for us. But um, before we get going, a couple of quick shout-outs. First and foremost, I want to mention some friends of mine started this company called PurestMushrooms.com. Now, throughout history, people have used mushroom for all sorts of medicinal... Pro- Did you say medicinal or... Medicinal. Medicinal, thank you. Medicinal properties... Now, my friends at purestmushrooms.com, they offer some super high-quality mushroom at fairly affordable prices, all sorts of health benefits from uh, boosting energy, supporting immune system, cognitive function, you name it. So use the code HISTORYONFIRE at checkout for a discount on single packages. This does not apply to already discounted bulk quantities, but on single pass, uh, packages, History on Fire at purestmushrooms.com. I'll put a link in the episode notes anyway. And while I'm mentioning links, also shout out to dakotapurebison.com. Code HOF10 gets you bison steaks, burgers, um, beef jerky. Well, bison beef jerky, but you know what I mean. So all sort of bison-based products. These guys are great. Their quality of food is fantastic. So dakotapurebison.com, HOF10. But of course, the stars of the game are you listeners who make this possible. So 
please tell your friends, or if you are ashamed, don't, but keep sending us money. That's always appreciated. <laughs> Speaking of which, let's give a shout out to... Let the pottering begin. Andre Garapetian, Ed and Cario, Richard Kern, Samuele Rudelli, Jim D'Amico, Chris Treshbal, Joseph Lord, Stephen Rados, Lane Raper, Chip Witten, Luis Pesquera, Yanni Linima, Jesse Rantakangas, Aaron Weisner, Char- Charlie Fernandez, Clayton Payne, and Benjamin. I've been debating on your last name for a while. I have no idea how to pronounce it, so I'm going to take a wild stab. Benjamin Winnen. W-I-E-N-E-N German I don't have a clue but thank you anyway for supporting that is really appreciated of course shout out to Omsellers and MateraWines.com anything else or we can jump into it or I think we should just jump right into it our pal Chris Ryan this is probably six seven times he's been by let's do this Daniele Bolelli is one of the coolest dudes I know. He's a historian. He's got his own podcast called History on Fire. Um, He has another one, The Drunken Taoist, which is how I met him initially, probably a decade ago. Uh, He's super smart, super kind, a subtle thinker, and he's got that sexy Italian accent that all the girls love, and probably lots of the boys, too. So... Uh, Daniele and I arranged to just catch up today and we started talking and I wasn't planning to record it because I thought we'd just be talking about personal things, but immediately we're talking about all these big ideas (laughs) 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 and it occurs to me like, oh, this would actually be a good podcast. Like we're not talking about our sex lives or money (laughs) problems. We're talking about, you know, history and nature and aging and things. And it's like, fuck it, let's do a podcast. So. Welcome right. to the spontaneous podcast, Daniele Valelli. <laughs> Thank you so much. Uh, in order to express our appreciation, my lady Savannah has been listening religiously to your podcast and uh, she's loving it a lot. She Dude, just... every time you post something with her on, on Instagram, I'm just like, I don't know what Daniele did to deserve this woman, but <laughs> you should keep doing it. Whatever it is, man, she's... She's great. She's like, I mean, obviously she's super sexy and beautiful, but there's, there's the quality, the inner quality um, that, you know, as we get older, at least speaking for myself, and I, I imagine you as well, you just notice that inner quality so much more. And I think it's just like, it's, you know, I've been thinking about writing about something about this, uh, or maybe doing a series of podcasts or something about, um, you know, I feel like there's this huge need among young men for some guidance from old fucks like us. Yep. And one of the things, like I have, I have a, a friend, I, I won't say who it is, but he's a wonderful person. He's a really wonderful person, but he's He's very focused on aesthetic beauty. Yeah. And I feel like he's missing a lot Mm -hmm. um, because of that focus. And, you know, it's not to say that, you know, hey, a beautiful woman is is an amazing thing to behold. But there's so many ways to be beautiful. And I think when I was younger, I only recognized a handful 
And as I get older, it's like, oh my God, no, like demeanor is a way to be beautiful. I mean, I know women who are just, their voices are so lovely that you just like close your eyes and you're surrounded in beauty, right? Or they, the way they interact with animals or food or, you know, the way they move. I mean, there are so many ways for a woman to be beautiful. Um, and I feel like we do ourselves a disservice by only focusing on the visual. Yeah, because I mean, that's part of the gig, 100%. But to me, I mean, I, I know, like, I guess on the other side of the equation, like when I see sometimes people are like, oh, that woman is so incredibly hot. And I'm looking at her and I'm like, I mean, I'm glad you feel that way. She's objectively hot, but I don't find anything remotely attractive about her because the vibe, the energy, the attitude, the, what's behind. And to right. me, it's not behind it. Like you have to dig that deep. To me, it's like everything you have lived through, it shows up in your body. It shows yeah. up in your body language, in your expression, on your face and stuff. So to me, there are plenty of cases where I'm like, not really i see it right there there's a lot of weird stuff that i don't like and vice versa you see beautiful things that you like yeah. on somebody who maybe you know is beautiful because they have a certain energy but if they didn't maybe they wouldn't be you know and yeah. so that's part yeah. of the package but yeah to celebrate the fact that we're actually recording savannah right now is just jumping she lifted her shirt and was jumping up and down so <laughs> i don't think i've ever gotten that kind of celebration for the podcast we're about to record so i'm like i'm very impressed <laughs> Well, I'm glad I have that effect on her. I'll have to take your word for it, I guess. Yeah, but yeah, uh, that's, uh, that's a there's one. a there's a woman on uh, on Instagram. Uh, she's very well known. I I can't remember her name right now. Um, but she does this thing where there's like a a short video of some fashion model, like you know, riding some beautiful bicycle or or doing doing something fashion modelly, right? And then this woman, I think she's Australian. And she's just like a regular woman with a regular body, middle-aged, you know, and she'll like do the same thing, but look kind of ridiculous. So she's kind of making fun of herself and also making fun of the fashion models. You know, yeah. have you ever seen this? Do you know what I'm talking well, I about? Seen it, but it's... I'll, I'll, I'll remember her name in a minute. Um, but it's, it's really funny. And the fact that it's self-deprecating makes it, even funnier i mean you know okay. obviously she is making fun of the whole fashion bullshit world but yeah. she's also um but it, it's a funny thing because often i'll see one of her posts and the woman on the left who's the fashion model is objectively like holy shit sure of course but this but she's taking herself so seriously and she's huh? like oh i'm an influencer i'm <laughs> And the woman on the right, who's like, you know, objectively, visually, you know, the whole point is that she's not as attractive. Right. So I find myself more attracted to her. Yep. Yeah. Because no, she's it. funny and yeah. she's taking the piss yeah. and like, yeah. hey, I want to hang out with her, even though okay. I know I'm supposed to be thinking, no, no, the one on the left is the really hot one. You know, it's so strange. No, I mean, it makes sense to me. I mean, beauty in that sense is a package. Is There is the pure objective external beauty of like if you are a statue kind of beauty. But of yeah. course, then the living component that comes with your emotion, your sense of humor, your attitude, your 10,000 other things that go into 
and not even just it, I don't consider that even inner beauty because it shows up in your looks. It shows up in the yeah. way you look in enhances them or decreases them based yeah. on all those. So to me, it's all part of beauty. But yeah, if you're just stuck at the way a statue would look, uh, I think you're missing out because there's yeah. definitely other things that play in the game. The photographic. Sure. Uh, yeah. element yeah, yeah you know and you just said something a few minutes ago that i think is really important which is the the beauty that comes from experience mm. um you know and we we're so eager to worship youth in this culture that that's a kind of beauty that we miss like you know my partner anya had uh, really bad acne when she was in her 20s she had a, a health issue and um, she had this really bad acne for a while and she's got scars on her face. And at one point she said something to me about her scars and how, you know, she was self-conscious about it. And, and to me, it, it was like, are you kidding me? Like, I look at that. I see, I see this ordeal that you went through. I see someone who went beyond these insecurities that all of us feel you know i saw i see someone who fucking paid their dues and it's it's incredibly beautiful you know or or i mean my my ex casilda had a scar from um a cesarean section when she gave birth to her daughter and she was self-conscious about that and it's like are you kidding that scar mm -hmm. i look at that scar i see love i see your motherhood i see you know, this girl that I love, your daughter, I, you know, it's like these things uh, symbolize so much uh, beyond just the aesthetic, uh, you know, whatever sy uh, symmetry or whatever the aesthetic thing is. Yeah, it's funny that stuff tend to be accepted much more in men, you know, like the right. big scar kind of thing right. than in women. And it's weird because it applies equally to both, but yeah, generally speaking, tends to be in men, people are like, oh, it adds to the character in women is because I probably, as you said, there's a cult of youth. It's yeah. like, no, no, anything that doesn't make you look like you're 18 is terrible. And <laughs> uh, yeah, it's a little weird for sure. It's definitely, there's yeah. something to, I think it's like, it's that same concept you heard of the whole Japanese thing of like when something breaks, rather than uh, like you put it together right highlighting the breaking points and right. you put it, like little gold thing in between that highlights the experience of it all and uh, yeah man there's something to be said about that and and really to me honestly there's only so much time and energy we have i want to spend it around people who makes me smile that every day they whether because they are funny or because they are sweet or they are kind or they do something that makes me go ah life is nice you know yeah. like this is that feeling it's worth more than anything in the world you yeah know? like it's too hard to be always arguing and mad and drama and all of that it's like no, thanks. Uh, I don't feel like it. And so that to me adds to the beauty of it all, that ability to just uh, enjoy life, that ability to bring yeah. something to the table. That, and, you know, in this case, like with Salana, I feel like I learn so damn much from her. I learn, uh, it's hard for me to even put into words how much I've learned from her about enjoying life because she has, 
you dig that thing. It probably fits actually with your philosophy even more than mine, but it's working wonders for me that it's going to sound bad, but like she has basically no ambition. And it's actually a compliment. I mean it in a good way. <laughs> All the things that make people want to, I want to build a name for myself. I want to achieve this and that. She's like, yeah. I don't give a fuck about any of that. I, you know what I want to do? I want to cuddle my puppy. I want to go for a walk in the sun. I want to. And of course, you know, in some circumstances, if you are dealing with, if you don't have uh, food for the next meal, that's going to be hard to pull off. But she has, whereas my ability is more like taking shitty situation and working like a dog to make them better. And I'm decent at that. I, I do a semi-good job at stuff like that. She has this ability that you throw her in a really shitty situation. She's not going to be able necessarily to change them, but she's going to find a way to be happy, even in shitty situations. Yeah. And then I look at these two talents and I look at me and I'm like, I have to work like a dog to change external reality, to get the brief moment of elation where I'm like, ah, I did it. This is fantastic. So cool. And then I'm back to the grind because of course there's going to be something else that's not ideal and I have to work to get it to be at a great place. And so I'm constantly chasing this overall uh, sense of satisfaction, happiness, contentment. And she's there all the time just because just naturally, without doing anything. So I look at those models and I'm like, I think I want to be a little more like her and a little bit less like me. <laughs> you know, I'm just like, that's just a cooler way to be. I, And so I find myself really learning a lot from that. And, yeah. you know, my stuff is the stuff that the world recognizes more because it's like achievement, hard work, discipline that leads to these results. But I'm like, yeah, I trade all that in a millisecond for what she's got in terms of consciousness and attitude to our life. Right. Yeah. It's, I mean, isn't it interesting that basically all the spiritual traditions are selling us to be here now, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, that's what they all boil down to is like, yep. stop thinking about the future, stop thinking about the past, experience the present moment. That is nirvana. That is, you know, what we're trying to achieve. You know, which is, I mean, you know, obviously no insult uh, to Savannah or anybody else, but it's, it's, it's almost like, um, you know, I, I almost want to say it's like an, a non-human animal consciousness. I think that's why people love dogs and cats. Sure. They're totally in the moment, right? But, but it is human. Hunter gatherers are in the moment, oh. you know, they're not, I, that's why I love, um, I don't know if you ever read a book called Don't Sleep, There Are Snakes about the Pinaha people in the upper Amazon. Uh, it's amazing. It's this linguist I've talked about on the podcast a lot. I I won't go on and on, but it's this linguist named Daniel Everett who initially went to live with them um, uh, at, to proselytize. He was a Christian missionary mm -hmm. and he has a real talent for language and he their, their language is very difficult very different from any other known language um and he lived with them for like 20 years and there are all these amazing moments and just in terms of the language like they don't have future and, and past tense they don't have any kind of uh like referential words in other words there are no color words mm-hmm 
So there's no word for red. Yep. You just say the it's the color of blood, right? Mm -hmm. Or yep. blue is the color of the sky on a clear day. Everything is like that. Everything yep. is um, numbers one, two, three, many. Uh, <laughs> you know. And there's this wonderful anecdote where he's early in his visit and he's talking to them about Jesus, and a couple of the older guys take him aside and they say listen um you're always talking about this guy jesus to us did did you know jesus and he says oh no jesus lived you know many many generations ago yeah did your father know jesus no did your grandfather no no much much further and they say okay daniel if no one that you knew knew jesus stop talking about jesus we right. don't we right. don't care like yeah. <laughs> we just like their consciousness is unconcerned with anything that is an immediate experience right which is also if you think about it i mean even in terms of um think about our life like everybody really think about how many people like if you go usually most people know their parents you know if you are adopted or something maybe not but otherwise you know your parents and you could fill in their biographies with lots of information your grandparents, a little bit less, but usually it's still conceivable that you know a lot about them. You grew up some years with them, that kind of thing. When you go to great-grandparents, most of us, maybe you know their name and you know, you're know you like, okay, they did this for a living, they live there. You know, you can fill right. out, you know, in three lines. Right. And then you go one generation further. And, <laughs> it's and, a blank. And, you know, and here you're talking about the people who went into directly making you, not relatives, not other yeah. branches of family tree, your direct ancestors, yeah. three generations, over three generations. And, and it's funny how, you know, we take ourselves so seriously and our legacy and the meaning of what we do and all of that. And the reality is that not the world at large would probably never know you existed, but like your direct descendants, your immediate family, will have no idea who you were, or at best they'll have a two-liner about you that they remember. Your entire experience, everything you went through, basically goes poof into the, just in the span of relatively few years. Yeah. And to me, that's fascinating, this thing you're saying, because it's exactly like those two, three generations, people who actually meet each other, grandfather to grand grandparents to grandkids, maybe great-grandparents as a stretch, and that's it. That's yeah. the range. Anything beyond that is just a blur in the past yeah. and, uh, and leaves very little. I mean, it may leave marks genetically. It may leave marks, uh, but not, not in a way that any of us are conscious of in any way, shape or form. And yeah, it's it's I was reading this essay yesterday by a biologist mm -hmm. um, who, who just was diagnosed with uh, prostate cancer. Mm -hmm. And so he was sort of writing about uh the experience of you know sort of being reminded of his own mortality and and um how his sort of understanding of biology was informing some of these existential questions that he was asking himself and he was talking specifically about uh sort of a the conventional understanding of DNA, like it's a blueprint for a body. He was like, that's totally not true um, because it's all about which genes get 
activated, yeah. not which genes exist. And right. we don't know how different genes are activated or not activated. And, you know, so he was sort of going through this whole thing. Anyway, he, he was saying like, he was quoting uh, Carl Sagan talking about how we are the universe looking back at itself and how amazing it is that atoms just somehow came together and formed consciousness. And in, in, at least we think we're conscious, right? And it, and he said, to me, a life, the best way to think about a life is like, it's like a whirlpool. It's, it's a, yes, water moves through it, but the life is the form, is mm -hmm. this form that arises in a current and some persist longer and some dissipate. But the water doesn't come. I mean, the water's there. The water doesn't yeah, yeah. disappear when the whirlpool's gone, right? Um, it's just interesting, like, you know, because I live here in the in the high desert and I, I've got a view 50 miles across this valley in front of me, the San Luis Valley. And you can look out there and you see these dust devils, mm -hmm. you know, come up and yeah. blow. And, and it's like, I feel like, yeah, that's a life. A life is yep. just a confluence of factors and shh, there you are. And then the wind dies down and shh, you're gone. And, you know, there's a way where I think some people are horrified by that thought. They want, that's why they are so big on legacy on leaving a mark in the world or something, because they feel that it gives meaning to their lives in that sense. Yeah. And then when you realize that yet yeah, overwhelmingly, we are the proverbial dust devil just you leave pretty much as much impact as one of those it can be some people can find it very depressing yeah. some people can actually find it liberating because it's like well then we're just playing a giant cosmic joke and you're just free right. to relax a little and enjoy well it's that's not... what we were talking about earlier that that i i stopped you and we wanted to start recording because we were talking about how you were asking me how it felt to live out here in, in the middle of nowhere. And I was talking about seasons, yep. right? It's the same thing. It's like, it reminds you of your insignificance, mm -hmm. which you're right. Some people freak out. Some people need to get back. Some people come and they move here. I mean, it's sort of a joke, a local joke that people come here and Crestone spits them out. <laughs> right. Like, oh, you thought you were going to come and live right. here? No, not you're not going to live here. Yeah. You, you, this yeah. isn't for you, you know? Yeah. And I think that's one of the things because you go out at night, it's totally silent. You yeah. might hear some coyotes howling in the distance, but there are no trucks going by. There's no airplanes flying over. You look at the sky, it's a dark sky reserve. You see all the stars. You see the Milky Way. You see, in fact, uh, two nights ago, people were seeing the Northern Lights here. I oh, didn't see them, but yeah, people yeah. photographed it and saw them. Um, it's just huge and empty and silent and dark. And that lets all the stuff inside you kind of expand out, right? So if the voices in your head, if you don't want to hear the voices in your head, then the last place you want to be is a silent <laughs> place, you know? Yes, yes. But and yeah, I, I find it extremely refreshing to just go out, walk out the door to take a piss and look up at the stars and like, this is crazy. So yeah. amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think yeah. it's 
exact, uh, in some way, what you're describing is uh, the energy that is the exact opposite spectrum of hardcore capitalism. Yeah. Because, you know, the, and you talk about it a lot. You talk about it in Civilized to Death. You brought it up in podcast. The, this idea of like people who are essentially, they live in the way that, you know, Gabor Mata, what was his title of his book? The Realm of Hungry Ghosts. Hungry Ghosts. Like yeah. Yeah. It's exactly that, right? Because you are never satisfied with where you are. Right. Things are here with who you are in the present. And so you are constantly chasing something that is, I need to have X money in the bank. I need to leave this legacy. I need to do the, you are constantly hustling because you cannot be quiet for one minute, just being, you know? And I get it. I completely understand that feeling, that drive is not a good way to live. It's a very, never mind how bad it is for everyone around you or for the planet, but it's also for yourself. You're clearly, you know, you're never a place of peace. You're constantly running, racing. Reminds me, I saw a video. This was actually kind of comedic. Uh, I saw a video of this guy was uh, African-American guy who clearly took some edibles. And uh, he was like, why do white people fuck up weed so bad? You know, all I wanted was just relax and watch some cartoons. Why did you have to make it so power? Like I wanted to watch cartoons and eat snacks. I'm in the middle of the apocalypse here. And then <laughs> the camera is like, what are you guys all running away from? Well, what's your life so bad that you need to do this? You know? Yeah. And to me, that applied, aside from the joke about too strong weed, it applies a lot to what we are describing. It's like, what the hell are you running away from that you need to be constantly hustling, constantly? I remember many years ago in a podcast you brought up, I don't remember what you were talking about, but it could have been, I think actually it was Tim Ferriss, perhaps. But you were talking about somebody who was clearly super successful, who had done very well for themselves, and they were still hustling 24-7. Yeah. Well, it was and Tim Ferriss, because Tim Ferriss, I read the 20-hour work week. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. His yeah. first book, right? Yeah. And I was on a safari in Africa, and I remember reading it in the in the van. And I remember there was this moment where he says, it's really important before you start your business and blah, 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 that you pick a number. Yep, yep. Knowing when to stop. Yes, exactly. Know when yeah. you know when it's enough because yeah. the number will change as you go. So you need to pick yeah. it before you start. Yeah. And so Tim Ferriss, like, what was your number, dude? <laughs> <laughs> Seven zillion and that. Yeah, of course. It's and I think it it makes sense because it becomes a drug. You know, it becomes your meaning, it becomes your what gives you an identity, it becomes this thing is the hustle, the I mean, I know the times when I've always been more bummed out in my life. Those are the times when I check my bank account the most because yeah. I need to look at like a number that gives me meaning. That's like, hey, at least you have done this. You have, you have, you made this much, even if whatever much that is, even if it was nothing, you know, but just that sense of like accomplishment, meaning, self-esteem that I clearly wasn't deriving from day-to-day -day life, from just being mm. me. And I needed something to pat me on the back to make me feel like I've done something, you know, that I'm good. And and again, terrible. I don't say it in a mean way, like like people who are trapped in that are, because fuck, I've been trapped in that so many times in my life, probably most of my life. So I'm not saying it like I'm judging somebody else. I very much put myself in that. But it's like, it's a, not a good way to live, you know? And it's unfortunately... 
the norm where we are at at this time and place. The exception is uh, the Savannah vibe, the being able to just roll through anything and just being happy with how things are. And that's really hard to, it's really, I, again, maybe in a completely different culture, it's not hard to do because that's what the culture sort of hand you on a golden platter from day one. But in where we are at historically and culturally, that's a super hard thing to do. That's well, a ski that's not common. I'm a little surprised that it's an issue for you for two reasons. One, you were raised in Italy, right? Yep. yep. And Italy is much less about it's you know, it's it's like Spain. Oh. It's you you know, you work to live, you don't live yep. to work, right? It's mm -hmm. about enjoy the food, enjoy the beauty, enjoy. I mean, Italy's a very sensual, pleasure-based society and also i've i don't know anything about your father but i've met your mother and she's a very loving kind wonderful person so i imagine as a kid you were getting lots of love yeah. from your mom 100% my dad to talk my dad i think also there's like my my dad was flat out poor because he never chose to do any job that he didn't want to do he never compromised this much Mm. Which was awesome in some way. He spent a lot of time with me. He dedicated time of the. But we were always like, "Fuck, there's rent, and we have no idea how we're gonna." And that stressed me out a little bit. Okay, you know? so that's he where it comes stressed. from. Yeah. He was stressed. He could roll right through it. For me, it was a little <laughs> anxiety inducing. And yeah. and the reality is that yeah, I couldn't afford jack shit. You know, I was like, uh, which was fine. I mean, I don't really begrudge that part. But I think also because life in Italy for me. It has many advantages, like you're describing. There are many, many aspects of Italian culture that I adore. There's some aspects that I don't adore so much because there's a, there's a basic cynicism there that mm. if you want to create anything, if you want to do anything remotely creative or remotely, like you have a new idea, you want the general attitude is, why even bother? It's never going to work. Uh, screw this. That bothered me because to me, I guess Italy is definitely more, it's a happier place for day-to-day -day life and enjoyment than uh, US. However, it's not so happy that I'm just like, oh, I can just melt into doing nothing all day and I would love it. There's still stuff that I don't like where I would like to change and not modify. And Italy is so hostile to that. Yeah. So to me, the thing was like, okay, well, if I'm getting something that makes me happier, but not really what I need, and I don't get the chance to do or create because every other door is shut in your face with the attitude of like, don't even bother, nothing is ever going to work, that rubbed me the wrong way. And so yeah. that's one thing that I like about US was sometimes the stupid enthusiasm for doing things <laughs> you shouldn't even do, but the general attitude was more yes than no to right. things. Right. And I do appreciate that. I do appreciate stupid enthusiasm over smart cynicism any day. You know? <laughs> I uh you remind me of, of a few years ago. I was in Spain and I was I was thinking maybe I was gonna move back to Spain. And um I was doing my podcast and I I was thinking about like, okay, I know a lot of people in Spain a lot of Spanish people and a lot of them speak English. So who should I have on my podcast? 
And I was sort of going down the list of these people that I knew. And it occurred to me that uh, in Spain, it's a really healthy culture that produces healthy, balanced people who aren't really all that interesting, maybe. <laughs> Whereas America yeah. is yeah. a totally fucking messed up, bullshit, yeah. hostile, imbalanced, yeah. pathological culture. But man, it produces a lot of really interesting people. Thanks for great stories. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> it does. I mean, yeah, I, you know, it's just, uh, it's a strange thing, uh, you know, and, and so it's kind of like what you were saying about Italy. It's it's like, man, I, even when I'm in Spain, when I was living in Spain, I was really paying attention to what was going on in American culture because it's so much more interesting. Right. I don't give a shit about the king having an affair, you yeah. know, like what it, what's going on in Spain just seems like, ah, who gives a shit? It's It's just Spain, you know? But what's going on in the U.S. kind of matters to everybody, whether you like it or not. I mean, and that's true in every sense, because think about uh, music or movies or things. It's like what happens in certain places in the U.S. goes everywhere in the world. Yeah. What happens in a regional culture usually stays there, at most extend to a few neighboring countries. It's not yeah. that common. I mean, even that, speaking of Italy, like right now, there's this one group, Maneskin, that came out of Italy that's huge. Like they had a level of success that I don't think I've ever seen an Italian musician pull off. And they are, you know, 20-some-year-old kids who just... Mm. Uh, are doing mostly rock, which is not a thing that's like the most popular thing right now in the last few years. And they are insanely successful abroad. And people in and they have some success in Italy too, don't get me wrong, but there's a ton of backlash in Italy because there's the, who the hell do you guys think you are? Who, you know, there's the classic Italian cynicism that kicks in. Yeah. Very crabs in a pot kind of thing. And uh, but it's rare, you know, most of the time, anybody who become famous in Italy for music or art or whatever is only for an Italian market. Right. Uh, people is like, oh, back in the day. Yeah, that was the Renaissance where people did something in Italy and they went all over the world, you know. Pavarotti. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So yeah, you have exceptions. Don't That's the last exceptions. one, probably. Yeah, right? You have exceptions, but they are exceptions. That's the point. It's yeah. like norm is that it's very much for an internal market of people who speak only Italian, that kind of thing. Yeah. And I think there's a reason there. There is an element that it's attractive about US in that regard, despite, as you said, again, this is not about idealizing or demonizing any one place. You know, there's a ton of stuff that i love about italy way better than i love about living in the us a lot i can go like a long list there are also things that i find fascinating about living in the us and these uh, i've never found a place where i was like oh it checks all the boxes i'm uh, they have these that's amazing and these that's amazing and it's always like this weird mixed bag and you just have to decide which mixed bag is good yeah. for you point in your life i gotta say though man i think ojai has to be one of the best possible places to be it's a sweet spot i like it i it's, like it. i mean the weather is so yeah. beautiful the landscape is beautiful you can go Definitely. walking good food good people Definitely, it, it seems like you you picked a good place there and you know like 
that's also the part of American culture that even in you know, places like Hawaii, it's not really that different, is uh, your friends in US. I think like I have a bunch of people who think I'm like their super close friend. And I'm like, I'm not going to say to them because I don't want to be mean, but I'm like, man, we're barely acquaintances. Like, I don't know what your definition of friendship is, but like, how often do we talk? How often do we see each other? It's like, friendship is not like you get along when you see each other. You also need to put time and energy in it. Mm. Otherwise, is your friendly, you like each other, you think you're good people and you wish the best for each other. But that's a very different thing from being, you know, really putting time and energy where if it's 2 a.m. and you call the person is there in five minutes, you know, it's like even in places like where I live now, it's not that most of the people I know, I see them like once every two months if I'm if at that. And so yeah. to me, you have that kind of like clearly you're putting your time and energy somewhere else, not in social relations. And so things like friendship are the poor cousin of friendship. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah. it's not really the real thing. It's, uh, it's, I guess, the best substitute you can get in a society that's very driven on work, 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 and maybe all your social relations go in your immediate nuclear family. And that's yeah. it. And you really don't move much beyond that. The rest is like, oh, once in a while you shoot the shit with somebody. But, and you know, I miss that. I think that's something that both you and I, I think we have the feeling of like, we woke up one morning and we're like, where the fuck is my teepee? Where's my tribe? You know, because that's what we resonate with in a way. Where Every like, morning. I want those human relationships. Yeah. And we don't live in a society that goes there not even this much you know it's actually goes in the exact opposite direction yeah I know a lot of people that i get along with that i like are my friends with them i guess depends on your definition of friendship you know for my definition for my definition of this is how fucked up i am my definition of friendship italy wasn't friendly enough as a place i always thought ah oh, this place is doesn't and of course i moved to us that's a good idea right because it's like a hundred times less than italy in that regard yeah and, you know, you get what you pay for. You know, I get other things in US that I enjoy, but those are big things that clearly are nowhere near to be found here. And I'm sure, you know, somebody listening will have uh, exceptions to that. We'll have like, hey, man, I have my tight group of friends and we are really there for it. And I'm so happy for you. But that really is the exception to the rule. Is not. Yeah. I, I, uh, I went to a, a friend's uh, 40th birthday party. Uh, recently and this is a guy who grew up in santa cruz and he has stayed really close with the people he grew up with right so there were probably the party was a surprise party and it was out at joshua tree and there were probably 50 people there yeah like a lot of people yeah. who drove down from santa cruz right and he'd known them his whole life. They went to grade school together and all that. And Anya and I were talking and it was like, man, I, if, I mean, if, if I had a party like this, yeah. I, I wouldn't even know 50 people to invite. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> much yeah. less 50 people who would show up. And so, show up, right? <laughs> and so for a while I was feeling really inadequate and like, yeah. geez, I mean, I, I'm older than this guy and I don't have as many friends as he does. 
but then it was like, well, okay, but his friends in this group, and, and again, I'm not trying to insult anyone. I don't know them. I was just sort of an outsider at the party, but they're friends because of circumstance. Sure. Right. And so it's like being friends with the guy you work with or your neighbor or, you know, someone you go and you watch soccer matches with or you have some shared interest or the parents of a kid who's in school with your kid. You know, it's it's not really your friends because you really love being together and you see the world in similar ways and all that. It's it's circumstantial. And uh, and it's a weird thing because that doesn't necessarily mean it's not real. So I was I was thinking about these like um, Sebastian Junger, right? He writes about these squads of guys and, you know, they're at war and they're got each other's backs. And, you know, I, I remember this this line in an interview when I think it was Bill Maher was interviewing him after he'd written that book about Restrepo in, in Afghanistan. And, and uh, Bill Maher said, so, okay, these guys, they're out there, they're getting shot at every day. They're like sleeping in holes that they dig in the dirt and like horrible. They're not thinking about geopolitical trade routes and, you know, access to natural resources or whatever the fuck the war is about. Why are they fighting? Why do they bother doing this? And Junger said, they do it for each other. They do it out of love for each other, right? And I'm thinking like, okay, every guy who's in his squad, he comes out of it and he's like, those are the best fucking dudes in the world. Those are my brothers. I die for those guys. But dude, if you had been assigned to a different squad, You'd have the exact same feelings. Yeah. Not only that, if you had assigned it to the squad of the enemy, on the other side of the battlefield, yeah. you'd have the same. So it's like this isn't so maybe all friendship is circumstantial. To some degree. I mean, I think to a lot of degrees for sure, because uh, that's the reality. It's like, I mean, even in a tribe, you're born there, you happen to be born next to each other, and that's right. how you no, you you go hunting fair. together. He yeah. saved your life one time, you know, Absolutely. stuff and accumulates. I think, and I think there's a mix, right? There's some of it that's purely circumstantial. It's like, hey, we are in it together, regardless of our particular psychological makeup or whether we would like each other if we meet in, it doesn't matter. We meet in these circumstances and right. in these circumstances, we create a bond. And then there's the other one, the people you choose from across the globe where you're like, you don't necessarily have something uh, that pushes you together, that makes you, but you really just like them as human beings. And so you want those relationships. And it's a tricky thing because, yeah, it's, um, I think the war, again, especially Western capitalist countries, happens everywhere. I mean, it's like, take a place like Japan that basically buys into the same model. You still work like a dog and you have those. But like these days, uh, anytime I call somebody, just to check on, just because I want to hear what's up, you know, how they are doing, just check on them, just to see, like, overwhelmingly, people look at, like, they don't know what to do with it. They are like, so, like, you're not calling me because of something, because you want something or you want to do, not in wanting a necessarily mean way, but like, you know, you, you yeah. want to, there, so there's, there's got no to purpose. be, otherwise, why are we talking, you know, if right. there's and I'm like, that's to me the whole point of friendship is when you want to talk to somebody when you don't have to. 
you know, where <laughs> not because you are trying to achieve something or there's yeah. an end goal is like, I enjoy hearing your voice. I enjoy the exchange of energy that happens where we chat. That's it. Doesn't have to go anywhere. Doesn't. There's no plan. There's no nothing. It's just purely back to being in the moment, right? I enjoy sharing moments with you. The end. That's it. And I think most of us like it, but it's so culturally foreign that is just a strange thing that it catches almost by surprise. That then, you know, overwhelmingly, anytime I do that, people love it. They are like, oh, wow, you actually just want to talk to me. And I, yeah, what a concept, right? What a crazy thing. And you get into it and you chat and they have fun and they feel good. But it's like, what's weird is that we don't do that on a regular for each other. You know, that that's not how we live because uh, people overwhelmingly appreciate that stuff. But we are so in the uh, hustle culture that there has to be a purpose. Otherwise, why are we interacting kind of thing? Yeah. I feel like there's... uh... Like that's a pretty recent thing yeah. because I, you know, I remember, you know, through my twenties, just calling someone like, how you do? Hey, what's up? You know, how you doing? Then you have an answering machine comes in and then, but I think, you know, once you have email and texting, then it becomes, it becomes more difficult. I think, you know, um, I think uh, I think we lost that. I personally, I fucking hate phone calls, but it's not because of the it's not that I don't like catching up with people. It's sure. that I can't fucking hear on the cell phone. <laughs> yeah, well, that's different, that's, you know. So, yeah. I mean, to me, it's such a it's it's a metaphor for progress in yeah. air quotes, you know, like, oh, now we've got this amazing technology that doesn't fucking work. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's right. like, okay, great. I can call you from anywhere, but I can't fucking hear you. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. the one thing that a phone really sucks at is being a phone. And, the, <laughs> you know, I, I mean, I'm talking to you right now with headphones with this curled uh, cord. I remember when phones had this cord yeah, and they yeah, worked. Of course, you of could course. hear the person. I'd, I'd be on the phone for three hours with my girlfriend, you know, in 1977 or whatever. Right. Um Yeah. So, yeah, it's interesting how it feels like the trajectory of modern life is is greater quantity and lower quality. Hundred percent. Everything. You know, there's a great book you should read in that regard called Civilized to Death. Never heard of it. uh, It's really good. You should check it out. (laughs) I was uh, the other night I was reading a book somebody recommended to me, a series of essays. Mm -hmm. Um, by Tim Kreider is the name of the writer. And so I, it, the book's called, I wrote this book because I love you. And it's, it's a series of essays about relationships that he was in and, you know, sticky situations he got himself into. He's a good writer. Anyway, the first one I I, I read was called, I think it was called the conundrum. And it was about how he was in love with two women. He was dating two women at the same time. And both of them said, you need to choose. Like, we're not comfortable with this situation. So he was like going through this whole thing, how he was going to choose. And you might relate to this. So I'm reading this and he says, so a friend of mine recommended a book called Sex at Dawn 
particularly a chapter called the perverts lament and uh da, 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 da. and i'm like oh oh look at that they're talking <laughs> and then there's a footnote and he says something like um the book was popular at the time but i wouldn't recommend it and he says something he says like the logic is is you know it's poorly reasoned or, or some shit uh -huh. like that and then he said and the author's uh are the kind of people who use words like um what were they it was mighty yeah. uh and some other word as a as an intensifier so in other words well that's a mighty strange conclusion to come to right? you know yeah. like which yeah. is a vernacular uh, yeah. american thing and so anyway the point is you go through this thing because we started talking about like fame being fleeting and yeah. all that, where it's like, oh, he's talking about me. Like, oh, that's so great. <laughs> and then he's like, oh, he's fucking shitting on me. Fuck this guy, right, <laughs> Fuck right. This guy. Yeah, yeah. It's so I, funny. Yeah. yeah. Do you, like, would people have emotional or critical responses to your work? Do you still feel it personally or are you distant um, enough from it that you don't really get into that i mean to me like what people like and what people don't like it, there are ten thousand factors that most of them have nothing to do with the actual thing they like or don't like right so you know you try to remind yourself it's like doesn't mean shit you know it doesn't mean it means uh, that for them at this time given all the circumstances it either clicks or it doesn't of course i like it when it clicks it sucks when it doesn't, but it is what it is. You know, it's like, I'll write something and some people will go insane and they are like, oh, this is the greatest thing I've ever read. And somebody else is like, you can't fucking write. I hate this style. It's excessive. And, and it's like, yeah. whatever. you know, this is me. You like it. You like it. You don't like it. You don't like it. I'm not trying to establish some objective criteria by which I'm great or I'm not. I don't give a fuck. Uh, if you enjoy it, I'm glad. And please send me your money. No, I'm kidding, but whatever, you know. But if you don't, uh, then that's okay too. It's like, I, yeah. I try not to take it personal. Of course, it sucks sometimes because, you know, you put a ton of time, energy, and love in things you create. And so when people are like, yeah, no, it's like, oh, that stings. That sucks. It's you. Yeah, but, but I think it's a good, it's a good lesson because it reminds you that the only reason to create anything is for your own satisfaction yeah. right yeah. yeah if you're not if it yeah. doesn't make you feel good it yeah. doesn't matter if a million people love it if you don't love it it's still gonna okay. you're gonna cringe at night you know i'll tell you an interesting one then or something that shifted in me lately and i'm really enjoying it while it lasts i don't have illusion that it's permanent but i'm digging it right now so for, I spent maybe the last year and some, like I had uh, History on Fire as a podcast behind the paywall for a while. So then when it came out and I'm trying to rebuild it, it's way harder than I thought it was. I'm having Because you lost a lot time. of momentum, right? I mean, I you lost, lost a lot of audience. Yeah. And, you know, I thought like, okay, I get back, I can rebuild it the same way I built it the first time without even starting from scratch because I start from a decent place. Right. But no, it basically stay at the decent place and doesn't build up anymore. And I'm like, what the hell? How did that 
and it pisses me off. And uh, and then you know I wrote uh, I wrote a novel that I love a lot, and I'm having the hardest time getting through agents and publishers and all of that. And you know I was like. I had all these drama going on in writing it because I'm like, hey, can I write a novel? I've never I've written nonfiction. I've never written fiction. Can I pull this off? And so by right. the time I'm done and I look at it and I'm like, God damn it, this is everything I wanted and more. So I feel like I've done it. And now I still, it's so hard to get through all the bullshit to get it to where I want it to be. So I was really bummed for a year plus. I mean, don't get me wrong. I enjoyed life. I had a blast. I had plenty of great things but you know there was this sense of i'm mad i cannot get what i wanted out of the things i'm creating in terms of public recognition and response and this that and the other and so at one point as i'm wallowing in my misery pit of just complaining about the unfairness of the universe um, um i wrote uh, you know, my daughter just started high school. She's 14. So at one point I was like, you know what? Fuck it. I want to write a sweet short story for her. Sweet, of course, is my style. So the, the, the title is uh, uh, Suiting Grief, which sounds sweet, and Headhunting, because it's about some Scythian uh, girl warrior in 2,500 years ago. And of course, is very emotionally sweet coming of age. And also you go collecting the heads of your enemies. So, you know, there's that. So I was having, I, I had a blast writing it, mm -hmm. you know, short story. I don't know, like 7,000 words, something like that. And I wrote it really for an audience of one. I just wrote, I mean, I guess two, because me too. But like primarily was if she likes it and I like it, success. And then from that point forward, you know, if friends and family want to read it, that's great. And if they like it even better, but if not, I'm not trying to do anything with it. Mm -hmm. Who knows? Maybe I will at some point, but it's not planned that way. And it's not, in it was really just for an audience of two. I love writing it and she liked reading it. And so I was like, done, this feels good. And maybe it was doing that. Maybe it was the stuff I was telling about Savannah being around there and really making a conscious effort to be more that way. But lately, I'm enjoying a period where I don't feel I need anything. Very yeah. rare. Because I always have this, okay, I can enjoy life, but I'm looking forward to the next thing. I'm like, I'm looking forward to lunch. That's what I'm looking forward to. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I wake yeah. up. Every day, and I'm like, oh, man, it feels good to be alive. But yeah. I'm really looking six inches in front of me. Just um, And, you know, I still work, and I work hard, and I do things. But I don't have that attachment, you know. Mm. And I'm probably going to change. Again, I'm not thinking, uh, you know, I achieved this. Uh, I'm floating in uh, Buddha lights, and I'm enlightened or some shit. You know, I'm sure I'm going to go through some other emotions that are going to bring me to a different place. But I'm really enjoying this place. I'm really enjoying this place of not needing anything. Not, you know, if certain doors open, I'll be thrilled. But if they don't, okay, so far, I'm still enjoying life, you know? And I never had that feeling. So I'm just like, wow, this feels really good. I'm mm. liking it. Yeah, yeah. I I rem remember reading this book by Choyum Trungpa years ago. <laughs> He was here in Crestone, by the way. He's a big part of the foundation of this town. That he there's a 
Tibetan. Actually, I live on the property of a Tibetan temple, uh, Tibetan Buddhist temple. And um, you, you and I may have talked about this before, but he, in one of his books, he says something about how Westerners get this idea of enlightenment wrong because they think that it means you're just always happy and always just blissed out. And he said, actually, in Tibetan, what the word means is balance. Mm-hmm. that no matter how good things are going for you personally, you never forget that other people are going through really difficult times and you maintain your compassion for them. And no matter how horribly things are going for you personally, you never forget how beautiful it is to be alive. And he he ends it with this beautiful line. He says, enlightenment is joyful participation in the sorrows of the world. That's a perfect line, and it makes absolute perfect sense to me. Yeah. And I feel like, I mean, you said, you know, you know, emotions might take me in different places and so on and so forth, and I'm sure they will. But I feel like once you get that, you know, whether it's through experience or study or meditation or whatever, once you get that, oh, things are always in balance as long as my perspective allows it, right? Um, I feel like once you get that, I I think you're there. I think for the rest of your life, you're going to be there. It's probably, maybe you're right. And maybe at worst, it's easier to get there. Like even if you get thrown off or something, because you remember, like you lit that fire once, you know how to do it. Maybe it's easier to find your way back. That could be, yeah. But but either way, I like it. I mean, it's certainly better than the alternative of not knowing how to get back or not being there all the time. And it's, uh, yeah. And it was weird to me because like nothing in my external reality changed in the past year in that regard. And, and, you know, it's not like I never knew, like, oh, don't be attached to the outcome or, you know, enjoy the moment. It's like, fuck, those are platitudes that you read on Hallmark cards, you know, right. but like, uh, for some reason, it clicked, <laughs> you know, so <laughs> when the ages went click and I was like, right. oh, okay, that's now I actually feel it. You know, I don't well, just get yeah. it actually. Well, isn't that like what we were talking about initially, right? This understanding of the many different ways that someone can be beautiful. Like, you know, we both knew that when we were 22, 23, we both knew that, you know, you can't judge a book by its cover. Inner beauty is more important, blah, blah, blah. But speaking for myself, I think I was just so distracted by the physical beauty that even though intellectually I understood that stuff, it it didn't click. Of course, you know, I, mean, I think honestly, most of what we most of the books we read, most of the stuff we enjoy is not that we ever run into ideas we never heard of, because unless you have been sitting under a rock, you have probably heard most anything you're going to hear by the time you're 20. You All know? the ideas. The question <laughs> is how deep they go, how they are able to turn from purely thought that you can even agree with and say, yeah, that's a good idea to something right. that's internalize and become real and you know different sometimes you read an author that's going to tell you the same thing you read 50 times but that line hits the right way and suddenly that thought that feeling becomes in becomes real become part of who you are right 
That's why I think it's fun to get stimulation, intellectual stimulation from a bunch of different sources, because it's not about the novelty of the idea. It's about how it helps make that click happen. And yeah. the click is magic because there's really no rhyme or reason. It's like, why now? Why is this? Or why is... And then is by the same token, when it doesn't happen, there's that feeling like the Zenkoan of the, you know, there's a live duck inside a glass bottle and you want the duck to come out without breaking the bottle, which is obviously impossible. And so there, and then the Zenkoan is like, oh, it's already out, which logically is like, no, it's not, motherfucker. You just told me that it was in, that it's not out. But like when that thing happens, when the shift happens, there is no how. There is no, oh, I did the seven steps to inner peace thing. It's like, no, it doesn't work that way. It's like something clicks and hell if I know why, you know, it's probably a lifetime of experiences and circumstances that go into making it happen. And when it happened, you can just look around, say, thank you, thank you to whatever helps me being in this place now, because it feels good. And it feels like crap when I wasn't in this place. So again, you know, I don't have, uh, I I like your optimism and I hope that it's true. Um, I don't know that is, you know, maybe some bad shit happens and it throws me completely off and I can't find my way back to this place. It's entirely within the realm of possibilities. But uh, so I'm not putting it like, oh, that's my new identity or is like my achievement or some <laughs> shit like that. It's purely <clears throat> like, hey, I'm glad to be here right now. Yeah. And, yeah. If it changes, it changes, and I'll deal with it at that point. You know? Yeah, yeah. So, what are you doing these days? What you mentioned the podcast. I know you're still doing a history on fire, yep. I, and I got to say, my audience. Who knows how big podcast audiences are? I mean, it's it's one of the great lies. <laughs> yeah, that they are taking guesses on who's. Yeah, <laughs> nobody knows how many listeners yeah. they have. You know, you know, maybe how many downloads you're getting, uh, but even then you don't really know because some apps take one, one course. copy and then, you know, they host it on their server. I, so maybe I'm wrong, but I, I have no idea how many listeners I have, um, yeah. but it's probably a fraction of what it was five years ago. Right. Um, but I kind of like it because I feel like the people... <laughs> You know, it's a long time since I've been on Rogan's show or, you know, I mean, I left L.A., so I'm not doing the podcast circuit the way I used to. And uh, so anyone who's listening to my podcast at this point actually really like they're committed, they're they're in yeah, for the for the ride, you know, um, and that makes it cool because I I can actually respond to emails and I can interact in a way yep. that I couldn't have, you know, okay. I mean, I don't know if there are 20,000 people listening now, that's a manageable number, whereas 50 or a hundred, right. that's a whole different thing. Like I can't deal with the emails yep. and, you know, yep. um, yeah. And, and it's, it, it reminds me of this, uh, this story. And I've told the story before I've told all my stories before. That's the problem with doing a podcast for 10 plus years. Everybody's heard everything by now. Right. But uh, Kyle, do you know Kyle Tierman, the no. the the guy I did the motherfucker awards with? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. His father's a really cool guy. He's a filmmaker, and uh, he knows, you know, all these big wigs in Hollywood and all that. Anyway, he tells the story about how he was at a dinner party, 
and it's some billionaire's house i think and the and, and uh joseph heller was there who wrote catch 22 uh and the the billionaire gets a phone call and he has to go and take the phone call in the office and so the rest of them are sitting around the table and someone says to joseph heller does it does it ever bother you that this guy makes as much money in a day as you've made from all the books you've ever written and heller says yeah but i've got something he'll never have you know this story I just read it the other day. Somebody posted it on something that I never heard it before. And I just ran into it two days ago. Yeah. Enough. Yeah, please deliver. Exactly. That's the beautiful punchline. Enough. Right? I have enough. And it's like, I think about that all the time. It's like, yeah, I have enough. I could write another book and, you know, based on yeah. the success of the first two, I could probably get a really nice advance. But do I want to? Do I? Uh, and if you do, you do it because you feel like, yeah, why not? I'm going to have fun writing it. Well, that's something. it. If I do yeah. it, it's got to be because I feel like writing the book. I feel like right. whatever, if people read it, it'll help them somehow. It'll relieve some suffering, whatever. It can't be for the money. No. It can't no. be because I want to have, you know, uh, Christopher Ryan wrote three books like yeah. rather than two. Like, oh, that'll make me happy. <laughs> no, I did. I completely agree. And it's funny, actually, because when I read that story the other day, when the one you just mentioned, the enough, uh, you were high on the list of the first people I thought of when I read that story. I was like, oh, that's a perfect Chris Ryan story. So <laughs> that's the kind of stuff. There that you go. You were like, right. But do yeah. you, did you ever read Catch-22? Speaking of I Joseph Heller? I did not. There's a really interesting uh, moment, and it, it's also in the film. Oh, you should check out the film. It's it's one of those 1970s films where I think everyone was probably high, smoking weed when they were making it. And right. so it's got that kind of like, you know, hip 70s swinger energy to it. I, I really like that period in, in film. Uh, but anyway, there's this, it's about, american soldiers in world war ii who are based in northern africa and they're flying bombing missions over italy uh -huh. when it's occupied by the nazis right and uh anyway there's this moment where they invade italy and they're going through and they're fighting the nazis and they they're uh, they go through this village and there's this old man and one of the american soldiers speaks Italian and he's talking with this man and the man is like just totally indifferent about the Nazis were here yesterday now the Americans are yep. here and and the Americans like what the fuck man we're like liberating your country we're saving you and he's yep. like he's like dude you don't understand like you know this is Italy right we've the Romans yeah, like the the waves of invasions, yeah. people coming and going, the the historical context, you know, that I'm seeing this from makes you look this big to me, and you yeah. want to be a big hero. You're just the latest guy going through. Yeah, no, it's and that's the truth, right? That's a hundred percent the truth of like just having that. You know, yeah, thank you for kicking out the Nazis, but in the great scheme of things, somebody else will conquer us about three years from now and there's other shit. It's like it's an ongoing thing. Yeah. Is the 
yeah no i think it's uh that's a good um yeah man it's funny how that theme keeps showing up because this is the same thing right it's the theme of like in being able to find a way to enjoy life under a goddamn nazi regime like okay i'm all for being able to overthrow it and change it but that's the external reality and you know you let's say you pull it off and you succeed that's amazing pat on the back heroic there will be some other asshole who come in and there will be more drama. You know, it's a never ending process, right? And I'm not against it. That's changing external reality is important to some degree, but then there's the other side of being able to roll with anything that comes your way. And that's the internal one that is regardless of, and I think, you know, there's a place where both things are important, where you do want to change some things out there in the world, but you also want to realize that it's a never ending process and that you need the, so yeah, man, it's um I guess one thing that you were saying earlier about the book writing. Yeah, I selfishly I hope that you'll find uh why do I want to write this book? Because I always enjoy reading your stuff. Oh, thanks, man. But um, but yeah, I mean it's funny when you see that's probably the reason why I had such a hard time now with agents and all of that. I had a little glimpse of the behind the scenes a while back. Uh maybe about three, four years ago, I had this thing happen where History on Fire was at its top. I had a ton of downloads. My audience was huge. So for the first time ever, I have top-notch literary agents who suddenly they like me and they mm-hmm. are all interested and they love me and these. And I'm like, huh, because I was writing the same shit the other day and nobody gave a fuck. But okay, sure, let's, that's great. The, right. And then, you know, the more I start talking to them, the more the uglier it got like i got this and i you know i'll mention names of course but like really top-notch level of literary agents out there and they were like okay okay so now that we have the general idea we'll hire a professional pitch writer to write the pitch and i'm like dude what are you talking about but okay whatever sure maybe there's a particular lingo that the publisher want or and then, you know, of course, once we get the big advance, we're going to spend a good chunk of it to buy a bunch of books so that you're automatically a New York Times bestseller. And I'm like, wait, what? It's like, yeah, that's how it works. We make you a New York Times bestseller. You don't become a New York Times bestseller. We just do. And again, I'm from Italy. I'm used to doing shady shit and going beyond the law. So I wasn't <laughs> that. And then, you know, I was like, okay, whatever, you know, I guess. Uh-huh. But Okay. But this was the kicker when he was like, oh, and then, of course, that will leave us also money to hire some, essentially some ghostwriter to write the silly book for you. And I was like, wait, what? You know, I write because I enjoy it. I Mm. write because it's a passion. I write because I put my soul in a goddamn book. You are essentially treating me like Kim Kardashian. You just want my name and a label so that you can sell some shitty produce mass market thing to my audience using my name. And the whole feeling was so gross. And it was clear that to work with these guys, that's how they would want to do things. Like the reality is that they know what book they want you to write. They are not in any way, shape or form interested in the book you want to write. Right. And I remember thinking, you know what? If I need money that bad, I'll start dealing drugs. I don't need to do this shit. This is just, you know, you can put, care how much money you put in my lap for these. These, my morality is very flexible, not that flexible. You know, this crosses a line that I'm like, no. 
fuck you, I'm not doing this stuff. And of course, that pretty much permanently closed the doors to most uh, publishing for me in the in the big way, because I don't think they like that, because my vibe was, I really need to take a shower now. And, yeah. you know, there's that. And so I'm like, but I would never make that. Like, if I you bring me back to that point, would I change what I did? It's like, hell no. I mean, this was like, it goes back to what you're saying about the why you write, why you want to create something. Yeah. And if it's not to do something beautiful, it's not to for yourself, it's not because you think maybe it helps somebody else. And what the fuck? There are other ways to make money, you know? Yeah, and, and to save money, uh, yeah. you know, like disengage yeah. from consumer culture. Yeah. I mean, I live in this house I'm in is 850 square feet. Mm-hmm. And Anya and I live here together, and it's yeah. plenty. Right, 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 right. Exactly. It's fucking awesome, man. In the living room, we have a screen and a projector. You know, we watch movies. We got a beautiful wood-burning stove. You know, it's like you got everything we need, 850 square feet. Uh, you know, I, I bought it with cash, no mortgage. Yep. No, that's fantastic. I lo- and that goes back to the enough. Yeah. You know, enough. it's enough. a treasure that there's no amount of money that can make up for that feeling. Yeah. Because uh, somebody will have, uh, will be sitting on $3 billion and it's not enough. And so they are the hungry ghost of Gabor Mate's fame, right? Is exactly. that an addiction? And so I love that you're in a place where you feel that way because it's such a rewarding feeling. It's like, no, I don't need anymore. Well, okay. you guys should come and visit, man. I would love to. I don't know Maybe where you we'll, we'll you to hundred and fifty square feet, but uh, you know we could. Uh, you no, could we open. got the Scarlett Johansson. You can stay in the van. That's our guest oh, yeah, room. Yeah, that's right. That's right. That's and, cool. Uh, and we're buying the the land right next to us so that we can build oh. some cabins. Nice. So when sure. we have friends come to visit, you have your own cabin. That would be fun. I yeah. do. And uh, I try one place I love so much is the Black Hills of South Dakota. Yeah. So maybe I can make a detour on a road trip going to the Black Hills. I would love to stop by and visit. That would yeah. Be- well, and if not, we can we can meet because we go up to Montana every summer to we're, we're teaching a workshop in Whitefish. Nice. Excuse me. Um, <clears throat> we've done it two summers and, and we're going to do it this summer as well. So we drive up through Wyoming. Perfect. So. Uh, I don't know when you go to the the Black Hills. I think it's late summer. Is that normally when you yeah, go? Yeah, when do I go? Probably July. Uh, okay, I think we're doing the workshop in June this this year. Oh, you're going a little early. I don't yeah. know. Maybe I change things around, but yeah. Well, uh, but whatever. Know. Well, we can meet in the Wind River Range, or you guys can come to. I mean, really, it's amazing here. It's a it's a very unique, uh, strange place. And who knows, maybe you guys will catch the bug and and you, you know, move out to Crestone and be part of the tribe. You know, the only thing that would work is um, being Cambodian. Savannah is, um, if it's less than 70 degrees, she's pretty much frozen. (laughs) So it's like, it's not built for the cold. Yeah. Like, yeah, uh, I understand. Oh, I gets too cold for her, I think. It's oh, like okay. Built for tropical 90 plus kind of vibe. And, well, uh, all right. Seasonal visits then. Yeah, exactly. Summer visits, that works out. But yeah. uh, 
Well, the funky music means one thing. That's the end of another fine episode of the Drunken Taoist Podcast. Chris, always entertaining. I love Chris. He's really, as far as the people we met through podcasting, very high on my list. He's just such a nice guy. No, you know, we've seen many changes in the course of the years of people we knew from podcasting. He's the exact same fellow we met that first day. Chris has always been fun. That was a long time ago. That was back I'd say City. 11 years ago by now. Yeah. Yeah. So, it's been a while. We're still just trying to make it work. Yeah, no, Chris is great. I love Chris. Everybody, have a great day. We'll talk to you soon. Bye. Cool. Would you like to hear a terrible story? Yes, always. One day the rod shall teach you. D-B-O-L-E-L-L-I. Good shit. R-I-C-H-I-M-O-N and the numeral one. And so ends another awesome episode of the Drunken Dallas Podcast. Be sure to keep your ears peeled for another mind-expanding episode coming soon. We'll be tweeting you as they come out. You can keep track of Danielli at dbolelli. That's D-B-O-L-E-L-L-I. And you can find me on Twitter at Richimon1. R-I-C-H-I-M-O-N and the numeral one. We'll see y'all soon. Woo!